everyone, and welcome to this latest podcast collaboration between Oncology Data Advisor and Med Newsweek. I'm Kira Smith, and I'm the Senior Editor at Oncology Data Advisor, and we have a pretty exciting episode today planned in honor of Lung Cancer Awareness Month. So we'll be discussing some of the uh, global perspectives in lung cancer um, that everybody brings to the table here. Um, so to start off, we'll go around and have everyone introduce themselves. Um, so starting with the Onc Data side, Dr. Kreff. Hi, uh, good afternoon, everyone reporting here from the East Coast of the United States. Uh, my name is Dr. Samuel Kareff. I'm one of the chief fellows at the University of Miami Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at Jackson Memorial Hospital. I'm pleased to be joined by my international colleagues today. Hi, everyone. My name is Gayatri Pramil-Menon. I'm a fifth-year medical student from the country of Georgia, and uh, I'm an also an associate director here at MedNewsWeek along with Muskan and Madri. I'm really happy to be here and so excited to be learning a lot from Dr. Kareff as well. Hi everyone, my name is Muskan. I like Gayatri. I too am a fifth year medical student at Tbilisi State Medical University in Georgia. And uh, I, I'm super excited and super happy to be here and see what we bring here today at the table of Ong Data Advisor and uh, just to see what global perspectives that we all can bring today and to have an amazing presentation. Thank you so much. Looking forward to our discussion today. Hi everyone, my name is Madhuri. I'm also a medical student from the same university as Gayatri and Muskan as well. And first of all, really excited for today's session. Like Gayatri had mentioned, all three of us are associate directors as well at MedNewsWeek. And really looking forward to, first of all, learning a lot from Dr. Karev, as well as learning a lot more from the whole discussion itself today. Awesome. awesome. So in honor of Lung Cancer Awareness Month, uh, like we mentioned, this is a great collaboration between not only our networks, but also our countries. Um, so thinking globally, um, I think it's important to mention that lung cancer has many faces, not only in terms of the patients it afflicts, but also the types of cancers it includes. Um, so I'd be remiss not to mention that today is November 10th. It's also the International Neuroendocrine Cancer Day, of which we know lung cancers tend to be the second most common site of disease outside the GI tract. So kind of with that perspective, as we start the day, um, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about lung cancer patient advocacy and how that looks either in your institution, country of origin, et cetera. I'd like to open that question up to the panelists. So I think in terms of uh, advocacy and patients and how it goes, um, so it's really, it's a unique perspective for all of us because we are uh, we are Indian, but we are born and brought up in different countries outside. We're in the GCC. So I'm, I live in the UAE right now, and it's very different in uh, the Middle East versus how it is in um, India. So in terms of advocacy, we have certain uh, non-profit organizations in both countries. But in uh, India, how it goes is that there's a lot of stigmatization, I would say, when it comes to lung cancer patients. There's a lot of cultural and societal differences, as, as I'm sure you're aware. And in the Western medicine, you guys have allopathy medicine and Western medicine, and that's the king. But in um, India, we have a lot of traditional medicines. We have homeopathy, we have Ayurveda, and it's uh, it's really different. So a lot of people go for um, different sort of medicines. And when we look at the patient education the, and you know disease progression, it all depends on when you catch the disease. A lot of people aren't educated enough about uh, lung cancer symptoms. And when they are, it's already too late. And it, it's, 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 a really sad, um, it, it's a really sad thing to see. But definitely we have rural areas and urban areas and urban area, uh, area patient advocacy is significantly well-developed. 
And in the UAE, it is amazing. It is um, so it's so vast and it's exactly the same as Western medicine. And uh, patient advocacy is one of the biggest things that you can see over there and uh, patient happiness. And our professors also say that we're not just treating the disease, we're treating the patient as a whole. So I think that's really amazing to see, to kind of see both sides of the spectrum and be aware of how do you kind of, you know, you see both sides and you're well educated and you, you're kind of, you get the best of both worlds, basically, I should say. I think to add on to what Gayatri had said, something that I have noticed in difference from India, uh, UAE, as well as now currently in Georgia, in UAE in specific, we see not to be specific as lung cancer, but in generally oncology related issues. And they have a lot of key organizations, which is like called as the Emirates Oncological Societies where they manage different kind of oncology related issues and care. And they not just bring about what the topic is itself, but also about awareness, education, as well as support equally. And something that we commonly see over there is that there's a good support from both health authorities, governments, as well as patient support groups. So it's kind of like a good triage in a way. So I think that is something that's very important. Whereas in India, Something that I know personally that I've seen is more of control initiatives. A lot of a lot of places in that, and especially in a lot of rural areas, there's a lot of tobacco that's been used, especially. So there's a lot of tobacco control initiatives that are being bought about to and also given the strong link that we're seeing with smoking and as well as cancers, there's more policy changes rather than awareness itself more and more government related initiatives and for georgia itself since it follows a lot of the european patterns we not just see foundations but we see more clinical networking we see a lot of research opportunities and we also see a lot of policy advocacies so i think that's something that i've noticed it's a difference between these three countries in my perspective but yeah i think maybe hearing from you guys would maybe change my perspective as well Definitely. I have to agree with what Madhuri said. And uh, she brought up a very interesting point about India and how rather than screening and preventing it, there's more of a control scenario and more of policy making changes. I feel like one of the reasons perhaps could be the sheer size of the population, because there are just too many people and not too many oncology specialists that are there the specialists that are there in the country are some of the most talented and most brilliant oncologists all over the world for sure but i don't believe that it is uh it is what is required for the huge volume of population and indians and india in general do have we do have a huge problem of tobacco and a huge consumption of so many different types of maybe some Ayurvedic medicine or some uh, herbal medicine, which may not be as great. So there is just a lot of misinformation. Couple that with a huge population and along with lack of specialists and the amount of volume of specialists that we need for treating such a huge, I would, I would call it an epidemic. There is a huge problem and I truly believe the one way to bridge this gap is to, first of all, to have education programs, which they do. And I, I have seen it. I have, whenever I have been to India, I have seen the education programs. I've seen the awareness, but we need to go a step beyond just putting a certain advertisement or a certain, uh, certain thing in a movie. We need to go a step beyond that. We need to be personally involved with patients and people who we believe are at risk 
and we need to educate them we need to educate their families and rather than shaming these people and telling them to stop we need to genuinely intervene and help because i truly believe prevention is always better than a cure quite literally so cure is important but if we just don't get to that step of requiring a cure why can't we do that so i truly believe india in that sense has a lot to develop when it when i talk about ua i i personally have not seen that many and not observed that many cases of lung cancer i would say the last i read there were about 265 uh, lung cancer new cases of lung cancer in the country in the span of a year so there's not a huge volume but at the same time i truly believe ua has great patient advocacy and i again i feel like it really comes down to the population there are a lot of great specialists and a lot of great facilities which can in which can actually help facilitate proper treatment and proper diagnosis right which is the game changer of all of this so you in general they have very high precision techniques uh they're very minimally invasive patient advocacy is great and healthcare systems especially since it's very much like the american healthcare system i would say there's a lot of latest research that goes on and similar to when my when i talk about georgia similarly as madhuri and gayatri said they follow more of the european approach there is a lot of new research a lot of novel research and uh when i have been on my rotations when i have been with my professors i can see genuine care and i can see that these doctors these people they genuinely want to help so definitely i have seen that in georgia the treatment especially is is truly there the only problem is also i have seen that european countries in general have a huge smoking problem so lung cancer cases are actually quite high here and uh, you will see an 18 year old with a cigarette in hand and they will smoke till for the next 55 years of their life it's very incredibly normalized so the volume of cases is high which is why i believe the doctors here are very well equipped and the research here is very well centered for lung cancer therapies and lung cancer treatment and especially in diagnosis so these are the three i really feel like it really brings a it really highlights you are really able to see how these three countries differ in their approach in treatment of the very same disease so it's it's cool because we get to be at this international platform we are third culture kids i would definitely say that and i really believe it's so important to have a very global perspective especially when it comes to treatment and i'm i i would say we're truly privileged to be in this position Well, wow, I'm humbled to hear about all the experiences that the three of you bring and to see all the not only country systems but patient populations you've kind of been able to learn through your training. I think that's really excellent. Um one adage that came to mind especially um recently was an ounce of prevention always equals a pound of cure. So I think that's something that holds true and true every day. Um you know, on the North American front, we have several patient advocacy groups in the lung cancer space as well. Several come to mind, but quickly EGFR resistors, KRAS kickers, etc. and they provide that education piece I think the three of you really alluded to and how important that is to make sure that not only stigma and discrimination are minimized but also things like just being aware of your own body being aware of side effect toxicities and that sort of thing are just so important as we think about patients with lung cancer. So thank you for sharing your perspectives. That was truly wonderful. Um the next thing I was hoping we could talk about and we have addressed it a fair amount in the first um round but maybe we could just dive a little bit more if possible is talking about lung cancer um and recent updates in equity especially in lower middle income countries. I don't know if any of the three of you have seen in many of the countries that you've kind of worked and lived in um any updates in lung cancer in this space. Uh in terms of equity I would say uh so in different populations we definitely have different subsets of that population right so we have the 
very affluent people we have the lower to socioeconomic uh, areas as well in a particular country so in terms of equity we have um, there's no discrimination when it comes to national policies or uh, or you know any advocacy uh, groups that the national government puts out but we do have certain um, in, in issues in inequity i would say where when it comes to the lower socioeconomic areas where people aren't really educated where people don't really get the treatment that they need because um let's say in terms of screening right so even with a screening it's 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 we know in cancer and the treatment and screening it's not a one size fits all it's it's definitely not that which is why we have personalized care and targeted therapies they came about for a reason so i guess my concern in terms of inequity or equity in general is in uh, this the risk of screening everyone you know kind of shouts that screening is the one thing you have to do you have to screen and all that but there are many dangers when it comes to screening as well in terms of let's say false positives that's one that comes to mind or over diagnoses so there are different uh, definitely cases of lung cancer where someone who is not exhibiting any symptoms but still gets diagnosed with cancer might not benefit or even need treatment but because of that so called screening and you know potential guidelines that people have kept in place people still get those treatment and that in fact does more harm than good so uh, all these things come to mind when it comes when we talk about equity and i definitely think that um the government and you know national organizations need to take a closer look at this and kind of show that it's not again not a one size fits all we need to screen each and every person and also we need to figure out when to screen that person and uh, you know kind of see that when does a particular person need treatment or what what will benefit them because at the end of the day we're not just carrying the person's burdens we're also carrying the family and their friends and every it's cancer is something that affects a family a community as a whole so i think all these things have to be kept in mind and uh, this is just my perspective i would love to hear what you guys think as well yeah adding on to that there are some pretty interesting statistics actually that exist about that really highlight the disparities that exist between lower middle income countries and high income countries and the cancer detection rate and the survival so i actually uh, recently in my reading i read that around 70% of cases and 70% of deaths that occur due to lung cancer worldwide are mostly in lower middle income countries and another very interesting uh, statistic that actually came to my awareness was that only 26% of lower middle income lower and middle income countries reported to have a pathology lab in their hospital settings while in higher income countries it was 90% and when i read these statistics i was i like sat down for a moment and i was like that's 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 something really terrible because okay i'm not even getting to the treatment right the inequity in treatment i'm getting to a pathology lab a pathology lab you would think would be a bare minimum you take in an average american hospital they will have a pathology lab you take an average university uh, hospital university they will have a pathology lab it is the key and the most beyond a ct scan is something that is important for confirmation of diagnosis but only 26% of uh lower middle income countries lower and middle income countries report to have a pathology lab so i feel like we truly need to get back to the very bare bottom which is to ensure that there are proper facilities and proper proper labs which can at least help in the diagnosis of lung cancer and not just lung cancer any form of cancer because imagine the fear and the 
it, it's just i cannot imagine being someone being so sick someone actually having cancer and not knowing about it and potentially passing away from it and worse off maybe suffering for years before that diagnosis is the key diagnosis brings closure to people diagnosis brings peace in some way or the other but it's a sad reality that so many people in lower and middle income countries don't have which high higher income countries have so this was something that really stood out to me some things that you would think are the bare minimum are not even something that exists for many people and many countries so that was something interesting then this is just about the diagnostics just about the pathology lab we also have to realize that so many latest research clinical trials drug so many clinical trials so much research that is happening is not even present and does not even in many cases get to these get to the countries like i am really all in about immunotherapy lately it's something that really interests me and i have realized that immunotherapy and new and com- uh, immunotherapy combined with chemotherapy combination immunotherapy is something that is a far fetched reality for so many lower and middle income countries what i would say us is at the forefront of all research but there are so many more years so many decades of some it's gonna take a while for these latest technologies to even maybe perhaps get to one big hospital in some lower middle middle income countries so i truly see that i believe everyone deserves to live if not deserves to live i believe everyone deserves a fair shot at life but to see the income disparities and in many cases the resources that are existing for healthcare facilities in these countries don't even reach the hospitals and don't even reach the targeted places which pisses me off which really angers me i would definitely say because prevent lives are precious research is important research is happening and i truly hope that in the coming years we're able to somehow bridge this gap and ensure that there's a fair distribution and the world moves together rather than some countries ahead while some people suffer just because they are not from that certain country so uh, treatment immunotherapy and not just immunotherapy there are so many advancements that are happening in oncology in ev- in every single day so i truly believe that it's a bridge you have to gap statistics are there we know the reality and i have seen so many programs so many people actually working towards it which i'm so happy about and i hope when i i'm in my career as well i'm pretty early on i'm still a med student but it's something that really pa- is passionate i'm passionate about so i hope i can perhaps follow this route when i am in my clinical practice and i mean i feel like gayatri and muskan have honestly covered everything but something i would just say is that to say that something is completely an equitable landscape is going to be very difficult because it's a complex and an ongoing effort and since there are multifaceted challenges that contribute to the disparities itself to me personally from listening to just both of them i would say there are at least 12 to 13 steps that need to be completely taken care of to achieve the perfect landscape for individuals affected by lung cancer or have a history or just need to get screening or anything done so i think it requires collaboration on various levels of healthcare delivery community engagement policy development transport finance and so much more and even just cultural aspects so i feel like this is going to be a very long process but seeing how there can be a lot of different distribution stages and 
a lot of opportunities that are coming up right now with so much awareness happening in this current generation especially so we might see better changes as we go about but it's definitely going to be a long and hard road wow again i'm i'm really awestruck by the contributions here because there's just so many aspects of each of these kind of perspectives we can comment on i i guess reflecting on my own experience I, i feel quite privileged i work in a public hospital in the united states which has access to a pathologist which has access to lung cancer screening and things like advanced diagnostics and the majority of my patients who come from countries that are traditionally thought as low middle income predominantly in latin america and the caribbean actually have access to at least basic services here in a us-based system high income country i wonder if there's more we could do um i guess stay tuned we've got organizations like the union for international cancer control and uh, initiatives like the access to oncologic medicines, which are striving to bridge that gap, but clearly a lot more to do. So thank you for sharing that. Okay. Um, And then the last comment or topic I was hoping we could address uh, while we're here on the call today is discussing um, any advances in either COVID therapeutics or related research as they relate to lung cancer patients. We know that the virus is generally thought to be endemic in at at least most parts of the world now, but there are still high-risk populations, including patients with cancers like lung cancer and patients with immunosuppressed immune systems like those on chemotherapy. Do any of you have any um, new insights to share related to this area of research? In terms of um, research that's really big in India right now is uh, people are really interested in anti-PD-L1 monotherapy. That's something that uh, a lot of people are interested in, especially in older population with non-small cell lung cancer. So um, there's a lot of research that is going on how far it is uh, progressed into clinical trials, because if you think bureaucracy is bad in US, you should see India. <laughs> it takes a while. So uh, we, it, it's definitely um, a lot of people are interested, but research, there's a few centers and in a population of 1.2 billion, we have very few resources to actually cater to everyone. So that's something that's definitely holding us back. But um, in terms of, uh, you know, research in COVID, when COVID actually uh, the peak hit in India went back in 20, I think I would say mid 2020 is when everyone actually felt the full wave and the influx of COVID was just massive. So I think... Um, in terms of that, there are people still recovering from COVID. There was a there was a huge rate of national uh, deaths that were recorded. I'm sure uh, when we look, at those are just the stats that were released. And I'm sure if you look at r- rural areas, there's a lot of deaths unaccounted for, according you know, according to national census. So um, when you take all that into account, there are people still feeling the repercussions of COVID even now. There's a lot of people who still have COVID but are asymptomatic, and a lot of people who don't even know that they are carriers of it and who haven't been vaccinated. So the anti-vax community is not as big in India as it is in certain other parts of the world. But uh, and, and because in India, when you get a cure, you're just really happy that it's there. And, you know, so it's um, that's something that th- that's not something that holds us back. But uh, in terms of other research and everything, we do have um, when someone when someone has um, COVID as well as cancer, the main thing that they go for is radiation as well as chemotherapy. Now, the only problem in certain populations is that there were certain cases in especially people who were inflicted with non-small cell lung cancer where even after immunotherapy it progressed it, it progressed past the post-radiation therapy so now people are kind of considering how is it uh, would it be beneficial to give radiation as well as chemotherapy in tandem and how can that be administered so that's something that's that people are fielding questions left and right as to how it can be uh, implemented but i think um when it comes to you know cancer and research it 
again, it really depends. I would say the root cause of why a lot of deaths occur in our country is because of the lack of patient education. And, you know, it depends on when you catch the disease. Disease progression, we can't control that. We can't, con everyone's body is different. Again, as I said, I reiterate, one size does not fit all in this case. But I would definitely say patient education is crucial and that's something that we really have to strive for and i think otherwise in terms of international um oncological research i think it's absolutely amazing what a lot of countries are doing we have um you know molecular and genetic testing in terms of egfr testing and alk testing and keras as you said and i think that's that's phenomenal and we definitely have um a lot of imaging procedures as well. But when it comes to implementing and, you know, enrolling these patients in clinical trial and considering the progression rates in different patients as well, that's something that we need to keep a look out for, especially in Georgia as well as uh, India. And especially these two countries are really, really, they have very high smoking rates. So that's something, again, patient education, as I said, is something we need to look forward to as well. I So I completely agree with what Gayatri said. Like with regards to covid and uh, lung cancer and any latest therapy so just in general when i speak about covid and lung cancer like from my reading i actually saw a very interesting uh, statistic that not many i mean i wouldn't per se call it interesting kind of expected but no, there was in 2020 there was a significant drop actually in the diagnostics and diagnosis of covid which completely makes sense because we were overwhelmed. The healthcare systems were completely overwhelmed. We did not have places for people and places to admit people because we've all the pre doctors, all the nurses, all the healthcare workers were exhausted in the fight against COVID. And then moment our healthcare systems in Georgia, actually we had a huge volume of cases. I would definitely say that in I, if I'm not wrong, there were about 10,000 cases just in a city of, 5 million which was a huge amount so in Georgia in UAE in India one common factor was definitely that all the healthcare systems all the hospitals everything was exhausted there was no manpower that they had for diagnosis this was something common in all three countries so the diagnosis was low and the diagnostics, uh, the amount of people that were diagnosed with lung cancer in these in 2020 to 2021 was actually decreased compared uh, compared to that. And an interesting statistic was that after the pandemic, I mean, I wouldn't say after the pandemic, there is no after, there is only during. But my point is that from 2020 to 2023, there had been a significant jump in the diagnosis, which again, to me, makes sense because now we are back on track and we are maybe diagnosing cases that we should have which we would have maybe caught in 2020 would have increased the patient survival so this was some something similar that i myself noticed and have seen in my reading uh especially regarding lung cancer and uh this is not related to any of the three countries india georgia or maybe a ua but i also noticed from a reading that immunotherapy was actually a very popular therapy which was used during the covid pandemic especially for lung cancer patients which was something cool to me because as i said i'm a, i i find immunotherapy really interesting it's something novel it's something that's the, the potential and the scope is something I'm really looking forward to. So it was actually noticed that lung uh, immunotherapy for lung cancer was much more was one of the most one of the more popular therapies from compared to pre-COVID times. And there has actually been a lot of research lately, especially in this year, which has talked about the great efficacy of using immunotherapy in small cell lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer. 
and also treatment resistant small cell lung cancer so that was quite interesting to me that was something that stood out to me and i think yeah this is all i've read about covid and cancer lung cancer and it's truly interesting because uh, covid we although we do know it's a multi system disease its infection and its pathogenesis mostly began from the lungs lungs and where the dissemination happened so you think that you would see more research on the exact pathogenesis uh i have done research in the severe covid in cancer patients there were many different mechanisms actually me and gayatri have worked on it uh it was something truly like truly interesting there were so many different immunologic markers and so many different things and so many different immune responses that can truly uh sh- describe and determine how the patient survival and how the patient uh, ha- how the disease progression looks like especially in cancer patients but i have yet to see some study that truly elucidated how exactly the pathogenesis exists in lung cancer patients it would be truly interesting to see there are so many different drugs though that uh, we that we can use uh, especially in patients who have severe covid who have cancer uh, it's truly something amazing but i would truly love to see more research and more information on perhaps the pathogenesis considering that both one is lung cancer one is a disease that starts from the lungs so it would be truly something interesting to see but yeah the statistics are cool not i wouldn't say cool per se but truly really something interesting to see i think something i can just further on add to this itself is that like muskan had mentioned it was a very difficult time so nothing could be guaranteed and because we only gained information as the disease progressed the first thought of mind is that oh it's going to affect them in a compromised the old or the very 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 young and they're the first going to be affected but later on we saw that yeah it affects pretty much everyone we might see different cases different scenarios and nothing can be guaranteed so it is something that was just still coming about and things are still being researched about it so there was no every evidence that came regarding cancer treatment and covid-19 infection itself was honestly just mixed and contradictory in a way because we would say that chemotherapy being an immunosuppressive factor could increase the risk of infection but then later on there was also cases studies that said that oh even after uh, 30 to 60 days of these patients are being under chemotherapy we t- saw no change or difference in their uh, studies itself so it doesn't it doesn't make a change or there's no increased risk per se and then there were also cases where uh, can you know how diagnosis and imaging following up in like covid-19 and lung cancer patients also kind of differ or key aspects because the whole ct the maybe possible radiotherapy uh, pneumonitis can also be a factor over here so nothing was really fixed and because right now we're going into a stage where it's far easier to get diagnosed like muskan said and far easier to you know quickly like you get the symptom and you're like oh it can be this this and this so i will quickly go to the doctor as well so since it's so far spread and far wide that we are learning so much more about it and we're starting to see a lot of initiatives so we don't really know what is exactly true whether it's actually related or not so i think that's what makes this a very interesting discussion or topic itself is because there's still no facts that's known to be true about this itself 
So we want to keep reading about it. And then we go on to multiple theories, facts. So I think that's why this is something that we will still keep researching about even later on. And we're still talking about why pneumonia or flu or influenza or anything even just affects lung cancer patients. So I think that's why this is kind of important to keep reading about, but we don't know when we're going to get an answer. We also have to really recognize the psychological distress that these patients and lung cancer patients especially would have been in because I cannot imagine I just putting myself in a patient's shoes, especially during 2020, where everything is closing down, the world is on halt, everyone is getting sick, so many millions of people are dying every day. And the lung cancer patient is probably and most probably immunocompromised and knows that they cannot get the treatment that they need at the moment because healthcare services are overwhelmed. And it's just such a stressful and such a distressing time, especially I cannot imagine the amount of psychological distress these patients must have gone through. So I believe some psychiatric counseling, some form of psychological therapy, I truly believe is very, very important, especially for lung cancer patients, considering the distressing statistics that exist for these patients, especially in terms of mortality. Even though we are at this point where we have amazing therapies, the mortality still isn't the greatest. So I believe that these patients and these people truly deserve support and also considering that psychological well-being is one of the key prognostic factors if in survival. So it's truly important that apart from therapies and the latest research and studying the latest developments, it's also so important to take care of their well-being and also to recognize that the COVID pandemic hit us, hit us all really hard. And it was the worst, especially for immunocompromised patients, cancer patients, especially lung cancer patients. So when we talk about advocacy, when we talk about helping them, psycho psychological factors and considering the psychiatric distress that they must have been is, is something very, very important to remember, especially while treating or dealing or maybe interacting with them. Again, there's just a plethora of, of knowledge and kind of experience that has been shared in these three perspectives, right? But I think one unifying theme I've heard from the three of you is the importance of statistics and how that helps guide okay. patients at any time, but especially patients with lung cancer in these difficult COVID times. Um, we mentioned the issues with delayed diagnoses, yeah. delayed presentations, but one positive statistic that has remained true throughout the epidemic is that lung cancer patients' uh, prognosis and um, overall treatment options have improved during the COVID epidemic. Um, I can only cite data to confine to the United States as that's in my expertise, but we know that the five-year survival rates of lung cancer have increased substantially in the last decade or so. Is immunotherapy only the reason? No, but it's surely a big one that's been contributing to that. We've had other advances in things like palliative care referrals, psychological support, and that sort of thing. Um, but overall, the horizon is bright, despite the kind of bleak times we've recently passed through, for sure. Um, and to that uh, end, I'll, I'll thank you all so much for your cooperation with us on this uh, kind of unique partnership between our organizations. I really enjoyed learning from your global experiences. You have such a wealth of knowledge to share, and it's very exciting to see all the countries you've touched and those that you'll go on to help in the future. Um, and from that, I'll, I'll thank you again for your time. This was a wonderful um, international and global oncology collaboration. Thank you so much.